something we hope you'll really like. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I have no idea what time it is because this is a podcast and you could be listening to it whenever you want. Today's episode with Dr. Matt Plant and myself, Dr. Giancarlo, is going to be called Your Best Booty, alternatively titled Butt Stuff. That's right. So uh, on this episode, we're basically going to talk about everything you want to know about butt enhancement. Um, so why don't you kind of kick this one off? Because I know at your new practice in Miami, like BBL is like your thing. I know you're doing like tons and tons and tons of these. We are doing a tsunami level of butt augmentation. So it's kind of my favorite topic. And that's why for people who don't know, I bullied Dr. Plant into doing this. He was like, no, no, let's do breasts. And I was like, no, we got to do butts. And he was like, fine, I love butts too. So, uh, you know, I think the best way to start is, and what people want to know is how do you get your best booty? Uh, and I like to look at it um, from the approach of what you can do on your own and then what you can, do, what your surgeon can do for you. So I think I'll start with what you can do on your own is number one is exercise. So what makes a great booty is to me, it's the muscular anatomy based on your bony framework. So not everyone's going to have the perfect bone structure and not everyone's going to have the perfect muscle structure, but guess what? You can't modify the bones, but you can modify the muscle. So doing exercises like squats, lunges, stairmaster, these kind of exercises will enhance your booty at home and everyone can do this. There is literally no one who would not benefit from an exercise routine that focuses on the gluteal muscles. So uh, do you have any, Matt, that you, for people that can just want to work at home on their booty, maybe they're not ready for surgery, or maybe they, they um, are contemplating surgery, what do you recommend to them? Yeah, so I mean, that's always the first step, you know, I think patients uh, should try to get the best booty they can on their own, you know, things like squats, lunges, stuff like that um, are pretty good. Full disclosure, I don't even have enough of a butt to hold my pants up. So <laughs> whatever I've been doing at home is not working. But uh, definitely those things are kind of, uh, you know, what I would suggest. I'm not really sure there's a whole lot more in terms of exercises, but there's definitely lots of Instagram accounts that are dedicated to like butt exercises. I'm sure there's apps for butts and stuff like that. Um, I also, yeah, I a hundred percent, you know, I'm in agreement with that. I think another thing is that goes along with the weight is uh, of muscle building is fat loss because a lot of the times problem, mm. the problem with the booty is not that people don't have enough of a booty, it's that it's hidden. The fat in the love handles, the fat in the thighs ruins the shape, the beautiful curvature of the buttock. So I also tell patients, not only should you be exercising to build muscle, but you should be getting your BMI or your body fat amount down uh, to a healthy level. If you're at a BMI above 30, you're obese, you're overweight, you're probably not gonna have an optimal buttock shape. So that's the second thing. And then when it comes to surgery, why don't you go through maybe how you look at a patient when they're asking you, Hey, Dr. Plant, uh, I'm looking mm -hmm. for my best booty. You know, what do you recommend surgically for me? I've already done the exercise. I've already done the weight loss. You know, I'm a healthy BMI. Mm -hmm. 
Well, we sort of missed uh, this kind of that in-between oh. category where it's oh. like half you, half me, like those, you know, the machines that you can come into uh, plastic surgeon's office. I don't want to like call out any specific companies because none of them are paying me to do so. Okay, um, good. But, you know, all those machines that essentially amount to like electrocuting your butt so it contracts 27,000 times in a minute. Oh, yeah. Um, and they claim it makes a big butt. Yeah. So what do are you have thoughts? any experience with those at all? Yeah, so I actually really like the the one, I'll say the names because most people would be if they're watching the video is EM Sculpt. It's it's basically, yeah. you know, as Dr. Plant alluded to, it's a way to get a workout with a machine instead of doing the workout yourself, an electrical current, or I think it's a magnetic current um, causes muscular contraction. I've actually tried it. One of our colleagues, Dr. Oh, yeah? Einstein, like swears by it. Uh, and yeah. he loves it for the abdomen and he does it almost every tummy tuck post-op as part of the, he throws in a few sessions as part of the post-op care regimen and he finds it, it really beneficial. So I think it, I actually think it works. I don't think it's going to give you the same results as a BBL, but I think no. anything that is working the muscle and we both know that, you know, muscle is going to impact a booty shape is going to be beneficial. Now is the cost to benefit ratio going to be good for most patients? Probably not. It's probably much more cost-effective and effective to just go to the gym and do the squats. But there are some people who are like, well, I don't want to do that. I want to pay money and get a workout Absolutely. by just sitting there. Like I kind of can kind of relate to that. So I think that, that, that I do think the EM Sculpt works. Any other device specifically for like energy devices, I don't think are going to improve a BBL no. or, or to give you a, a better butt. But I do think EM Sculpt is, is, is one that would work. Yeah, I've not had an opportunity to try any of those, but um, you should you know, try the sitting and sculpt. having a machine do it. Um, that fits very much with my lifestyle. <laughs> well, you need an EM sculpt because you could like, have it running right now during this podcast and you'd be like, six pack, here I come, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, okay. Maybe so then, I am sitting on one of those. <laughs> maybe I am. There's Ignore the weird vibrating noise. Uh, exactly. Okay, so why don't you, there's another non-surgical that we did miss as well is mm -hmm. the sculpture. Uh, yeah. So, so what do you, any experience with that? Cause I get patients asking about that. I get patients asking about it a lot. Um, I have not used it myself. I talked to a bunch of colleagues that were using it. Um, I came very close actually to like doing a training course um, by a dermatologist actually in your neck of the woods. But uh, at the end of the day, after talking to people who do it, it seems to me like it's not, Honestly, it's not really a procedure for the Toronto market or really most markets. It seems like something that would do very well somewhere like Las Vegas, uh, Dubai, places Miami. where people have Miami, like where there's endless money and no fat. Um, yes. Because, you know, these things can cost like $40,000 for a sculpture, yep. but which is like four times as much as a BBL. And uh, from what I hear, the results are, you know, maybe a centimeter or two of projection, but it takes like six months to get there. Yeah. So for guy, for people who are tuning in, this is another, you know, way to get a BBL without surgery or without fat. It's called Sculptra. It induces collagen formation, but you have to use a ton of it to get even a moderate to small result. So I am in agreement with Dr. Plant. I've only used it once and I did it because it was like a promotional deal. I got the rep to kind of do this with me. And, and I think it, it can be very useful for the, exactly that very small percentage of patients that have 
limitless money supply and um, are willing to just get a very small result and they don't have any fat. So that's a very small subset of people. Yeah, it's, it's one of those procedures where at the end of it, you kind of almost have to like overlay the before and after to be able to see yeah. the subtle difference between the two. A hundred percent. Okay, so now we've gone through non-surgical and we've gone through, oh, and now this is an important thing. What about garage or basement do-it-yourself injection BBLs with like motor grade silicone or these, you know, these people that have gone to jail for injecting unknown substances into people's buttocks. What's your experience with that? Um, well, I personally don't have much experience with it. Um, you know, my basement's full of toys, so it doesn't really make a, a good uh, location. Children's for toys, that. not BBL toys, okay? Children's That's toys. That's right. That's it. Yes, yes, kids' toys. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I've definitely, um, I've definitely seen cases of it, and like colleagues in Toronto, I know like one of ours from the West End was like testifying in a trial for a while about this. Um, you know, I've read horror stories for sure. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's really unfortunate at the end of the day because it's people who are preying on, on the weakest sort of most vulnerable people. Um, you know, people who are really not feeling good about themselves, don't really have the means to get you know, proper cosmetic surgery. And, you know, when they go to my office or your office and they see that, um, you know, any sort of surgical solution has three zeros on the end of it, regardless of what's at the front. Right. And then they go down, you know, the street and they see like at a motel, someone's injecting, like doing butt injections and it's like $300 or something yeah. like that. They don't know what's getting injected. They just assume it's totally fine. They don't know what questions to ask. And, uh, you know, I've heard of like cement being injected. I've heard of mm -hmm. uh, silicone caulking from Home Depot being yep. injected. And then like the holes closed with crazy glue. Uh, yep. I don't know what's some crazy stuff you've heard injected. Well, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was asking because now that I'm doing so many BBLs, I'm getting a ton of virtual consults of people that have had, you know, various substances injected into their butt years ago. They don't even know what it was. It was not done by a licensed professional. It's not done by a surgeon. Uh, and unfortunately, there's not much I can do. I'm not going to do any uh, liposuction or BBL in an area that has an unknown substance injected into it. That just is a liability and infection risk for everyone involved. Um, so this is, I guess, the PSA or the warning part of our show where if it's yeah. not a licensed professional, you should not be having surgery by anyone that's not a board certified surgeon uh, or, uh, you know, especially for cosmetic surgery, you want to check credentials because some of those changes are irreversible. People have died from injecting unknown substances yeah. or been horribly disfigured. And like I said, if you come to Dr. Plants or I and you want to get fixed after this person has dis disfigured you, it may not be possible. There's nothing I can do in yeah. those cases at all. Yeah. Um, those substances just make it impossible for us to do anything to reconstruct it. Yeah. Um, and I, I would add to that, you know, not licensed, all that stuff. Um, if you're not sure of their credentials, what I can safely tell you is that legitimate licensed board certified surgeons do not typically operate in uh, Motel 6s. They do not operate in their own basement or their own bathtub. Um, you need to go to a accredited surgery center as well. 
Uh, and I think that's you know particularly important in the U.S. because you know everything like you guys have the free market, which is great, but it's also a lot more buyer beware. Here we're so regulated; it's very difficult for someone who's not yeah, that's good. Who's point. like horribly unqualified to kind of get into it? There's definitely surgeons who are doing things that they should not be doing outside their scope, but uh, you know. There is there a bit, some regulations. No, I agree. There's a lot more buyer beware here. So that's what, you know, a good purpose of this podcast is to spread information, spread knowledge. And if you're, if you or your girlfriends are, are turning in or boyfriends are, are tuning into this mm. episode, you know, and you know about a friend or family member that's considering getting these, you know, butt shots, they call them or back shots by, you know, your hairdresser or by someone who's offering this Ooh. in their garage, you need to not let them do it. And if you know, you have to tell the police because this 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 person's going to kill somebody or seriously injure somebody. Absolutely. So, just you know, in kind of guiding people, um, what would you say that if you're in the U.S., like, what are the credentials that you want to actually see with your butt doctor? <laughs> so, I think uh, in the U.S., again, it's it's a bit of a more open market. And there is definitely non-board certified plastic surgeons that do good BBLs and do good surgery. So I don't want to paint everyone with the same brush. I just think that if you want to be safe with every surgeon that you go to, then it's more safe to go to a board certified plastic surgeon for plastic surgery operations. Um, it's kind of like, I say this the same about other countries. It's like, are there good surgeons in Mexico that are doing good plastic surgery? Yes, but are there horror stories of unethical surgeons that I see all the time of botched surgery? Yes, so it's it's kind of the same thing with choosing a plastic surgeon. By choosing a board certified, you're getting that kind of seal of approval that you know this person has been well-trained and they have the credentials to back it up. Whereas if you go to someone else, you might be getting a good result or someone who's well-trained knows what they're doing, but you also might not be. Yeah, good point. Um, you know, the board certification is is key, but uh, you know, it's not uh, the end all and be all. The, yeah. There are, you know, check the credentials of each person. Check, you know, their um, before and afters. Yes. See their reviews. Talk stuff to like that. Previous patients. Well, you know, I yeah. think this is actually a, we could do a whole episode on how to choose. We should write this down. How to choose yeah. your plastic surgeon. How to choose. How to do your research because because we can give the best advice, but we got to get back to the booty. Yeah, tell you're right. People. So if you want to know more about how to choose a surgeon, tune into that episode that we will record in the near future. Yeah, right. Nice um, professional style right. over here. <laughs> so uh, back to butt. Um, so we've kind of talked about, you know, what can you do at home or the gym? What can you do, um, you know, with the help of, you know, a surgeon or an injector. So now let's talk about surgical solutions. So um, what's the most common request that you get in terms of booty goals, would you say? Bigger, more projection um, and hips. So a lot of people actually aren't aware that when I do a BBL, I'm also creating hips, not just a projection kind of from the from the side view, you know, the nice bubble, mm -hmm. that to me is projection. But from the front view where you can see the curve from the side, people are like, well, I want to do a BBL and my hips. And then I'm like, I blow their mind. I'm like, I do them together. That's right. <laughs> and that, that is a very important thing that people don't seem to know that if you want to do a proper butt augmentation, um, 
that's the way it has to be done. If you just put projection into somebody and you don't adjust their hips at all, they're going to look really, really weird. It's going to look like someone else's butt was stuck on them when they turn sideways. And then from the front, you're just kind of wondering like, what's going on here? Because if you look at people who naturally have those sort of booties that everyone's trying to get with the BBL, they all have hips that match that booty and it all has to kind of blend together in order for that nice look. Otherwise you get uh, what one of our colleagues called a diaper butt once, I think. Yes, that's a great, and, and like I said, now that I'm in Miami and I'm doing tons of BBL, I get tons of these botch requests. And what you just pointed out is probably the most common mistake I see in, in, in BBLs is it's overfilled projection, which means from the yeah. side, they kind of look like a bubble. And it, it, even from the side, it's too much. Um, like the, the butt becomes long, like a, a, a diaper. Um, and then from the side, they have no hips. It's almost like they didn't put any fat there and it just looks totally unnatural, totally unanatomic. And, and it's no wonder that the patient wants it fixed, but that's enough. We could do a whole episode on botched plastic totally. surgery. Yeah, totally. Okay. Tune into that one then. Um, <laughs> now, this is an interesting one. Do you, what, what, what do you do? So this is kind of coming back when a patient says, listen, I want you to give me my best booty. What are the factors or what are the things you look for um, on a patient that can kind of steer you one way or another in terms of your BBL selection or, or surgical kind of plan? Um, so in general, when it comes to butt surgery, I'm a big believer in fat transfer as the way to enhance a butt. I'm not a fan of implants. So, I mean, that's not even on my list of options. Certainly I get requests for them and I think we'll kind of talk a little bit about why we don't like to do those, but uh, it always comes down to like, what are we gonna do specifically with the BBL? And what I tell patients when they come in is, you know, the BBL is truly one of the most artistic procedures we do because it, it is sculpting. Like we are taking fat and we are building something up and we can put more fat in one area. We can put less in another area and we can really customize things. So first thing I do is always find out like, what do they want? What are you looking for? Show me some pictures of, you know, yes. butts that you like. I know a lot yes. of surgeons hate seeing wish photos. I love seeing wish photos. A picture Same. is worth a thousand words. Same. Same because I think just to finish on your point from my point of view is words can mean different things to different people. When someone says they want a big booty or when someone says they want projection or when someone says they want hips, I know what those terms mean to me. And probably because we're plastic surgeons, we're in agreement with those terms. Mm -hmm. But when a patient says it, when they're saying projection, they could they can sometimes point to uh, the hips and they're like, this is what yeah. I mean by projection. Or they say they want hips and they're pointing to like something that is not the hip. So I think I 100% agree. I ask all my patients to show me photos to give me what they're looking for. And I think it makes my job a lot easier because then we're on the same page because it is sculpting. And there's a lot, I think patients would be surprised at how much we can do and also how much we're limited by their anatomy. So it's like, it's like a double-edged yeah. sword. We can do a lot of sculpting, but at the same time, we are limited by what we're starting with. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's a good segue into sort of what do we look at when we see them? Um, I know for me, the first thing that I look at, because patients are usually coming wanting sort of their hip dips filled. Yes. Um, 
my my patients tend to want more of like a quote natural look they don't want like the big blown out hips but they still want things rounded off and nice mm -hmm. and smooth and the first thing that i always have to look at is how adherent is that hip dip because it's actually an anatomic structure and people don't realize that a hip dip is the normal anatomy for someone it's uh where muscle and fascia and skin kind of stick together as a pivot point for everything to move around so there's only so much fat that we can put into that with one round and i find i spend a lot of time explaining the limitations of filling a hip dip at a consultation yeah no it's it, I, I agree 100 I, I try and make it super simple for patients so when i say listen I can give you your best booty, but I'm limited by three things, your skin, your bones, your fat. So, you know, if your skin cooperates with me, I can blow out the hips. I can blow out the projection. If it doesn't, I can't. If your bone structure is favorable, I can give you the shape that everyone wants, which is that, you know, upside down heart. Everyone wants the mm. upside down. Most people want the upside down heart. Most people, yeah. I, I can give you that if your hip bones are, are favorable. Some people have, you know, the dreaded, uh, you know, funnel or the V shape. Yeah, and then it, imagine the hips are like this and you want me to make it look like this. That's almost impossible. A best result, a best case scenario with this is usually just to get it straight. Um, so the bones, and then the last thing I say is the fat. So some fat it's, is very good quality and it, it holds the, the, the buttocks out. It holds the shape and it lives. And some fat yeah. is just like watery, uh, kind of more oily. It doesn't hold form very well. And then it dies. Like, it, you know, no surgeon has 100% fat survival rate. So when I say that to them, a lot of persons, a lot of patients, if they agree with me, then I know we're going to have a good doctor-patient relationship. If their mm -hmm. eyes glaze over, I'm like, uh-oh, we need to spend some more time talking about this. That's right. <laughs> Education beforehand is so key though. Um, you know, you never want a patient coming into surgery thinking they're going to get something that you know you can't deliver. Yes. Uh, and I know that you spend as much time as I do talking to patients to make sure they clearly understand what you can and can't do for them. Well, I think, you know, we can get into a bit differences with the practice because I used to do how you do. And I think it's an amazing practice model for education is going through those in-depth consultations. But now mostly it's virtual. So everything is done um, over the email. And sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll go on the phone if a patient has a lot of questions, but most of my education has to be in like 20 minutes before the operating room. So I got to be like really good with it. And I use a lot of my um, Instagram lives uh, and my social media presence to educate. So this podcast is actually perfect because it's another way that that my patients, I can send them this video and they can really get inside my head. And I'm sure your patients will be able to spend more time watching the videos and go, okay, how does a BBL actually work? And what is my surgeon thinking? So thanks yeah. for inviting me to do this with you. <laughs> <laughs> Pleasure. Um, so, you know, I think we both kind of agree we're on the same page that uh, Brazilian butt lift is sort of the uh, procedure of choice when it comes to augmenting butts. Um, why don't we just spend a couple of minutes telling people why we both absolutely hate butt implants. Uh, you want to start this one? Sure. Well, I'll say first that I'm a member of WAGS, which is the World Association of Gluteal Surgeons. I'm not sure if Dr. Plant is, but he's invited whenever he wants to join. He can join us. Uh, started by Dr. Miami. And in this group, there are some very well-known plastic surgeons in Brazil 
and in uh, Mexico that do a lot of butt implants. So if someone really wants a butt implant, I would send them to one of these guys because they get good results. Um, and it can be very beneficial for someone who has no fat and doesn't want to put on body weight. But in my hands, in my experience, and in my uh, training and teaching, every surgeon I know personally does not have good luck with them and does not do them. It's just because of the location of where you're putting the implant, the infection rate is so high and the complication rate is so high. It's like these implants get moved around into the wrong place and then it looks like a disaster. You know, we've all seen those pictures online. If you haven't, pause the mm -hmm. podcast, Google butt implants bad and you will see some horrible results. So that's my two cents. I don't do it. There are some good guys that do do it, uh, but I would just say, be careful who you go to for those. Yeah, very highly specialized procedure. The people who do it well and do it often get good results, but anybody who sort of dabbles in butt implants, like it, it's not a procedure that you should dabble in. No. I'll say one other surgeon, Dr. Matt Stefanelli. We may hear more of him in the future. He's kind of pioneering the French butt where it's very skinny uh, females that he puts a very small butt implant and then overlays it with some fat. It's kind of his thing. That's all he does. So I think I'm going to wait for more of his publications and see if it's good. I would consider doing it, but like, it's like everything else in, in plastic surgery, uh, you can be as risky as you want to be, but because we both train in Canada, we are not risky. We are safety, no, safety first. Yeah. So I'm not going to be the first one doing these procedures. I'll wait maybe, you know, five years, 10 years from now when it's proven safe, proven that, you know, it can be done without the terrible complications, then I would consider it. Yeah, no, definitely safety first. Always, 100%. always, yeah. always. And so, so let's, I, I think the next thing should be, um, you know, what's your preferred BMI? Do you have a max for BBLs? And where do you think is kind of that sweet spot for that patients are going to get their best result? So I think in, in my mind, at least, rather than a BMI, it's more like what shape are you sort of coming with? Um, BMI is kind of all over the place. You know, I always think back to med school when they kind of taught us about BMI and then pointed out, oh, but if you look at, you know, like someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger, who when I went to med school was like very much in his prime, um, you know, his BMI would put him like class two obesity. And that guy had like, 4% body fat or something like that. So always take it with a grain of salt, um, but it really comes down to shape. Um, if someone has a bigger BMI, like in the you know 35-ish range, but they still have shape, like it's even distribution of fat all over their body, I still think there's a lot you can do with a BBL. Yep. But a patient who's got a BMI of 35 and all of their fat is around their midsection and they have, you know, multiple folds and the big panis at the bottom that's never going to go away with liposuction, that's a terrible candidate. So I try and judge each person on their own. I don't yep. think I would ever operate on anyone with a BMI over 40. Um, and above 35, I definitely, you know, tread cautiously. How about you? So, yeah, I agree you know, we do so many online consults, like hundreds a week that the BMI is more just a cutoff and a, and a starting point because, you know, we need to, to, to limit it somewhere and we can categorize pe people pretty easily. So we'd never do above a 39 BMI. 
uh, and probably between a 32 and a 39 is the gray zone. So you may be offered BBL depending on exactly what you said. Like I look at the patient's anatomy, where their fat is, what, what their body sh shape and booty shape is. And I'll say a maybe below 32 to a 25, probably every single patient is going to be able to have a BBL just based on the number, obviously photos uh, matter. Mm -hmm. And then below a 25, it's kind of the same as the high BMI people. I find sometimes below 25, they don't have the fat that I need. Uh, definitely below a 22, it's like almost never, but even sometimes yeah. 23, 24. So I use the BMI as starting point, definitely need good high quality photos. And we go from there. And personally, I feel like the best results uh, are, are just kind of in that 25 to 30 range of BMI that have the favorable hip shape already, mm -hmm. have good skin quality. Uh, and then the fat is just something you got to kind of roll the dice with in terms of survival yeah. and shape. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the saggy butt. Um, you know, I think when people talk about butt enhancement, um, you know, they automatically sort of think of, you know, the young kind of like looking good on Instagram type yes. patient who wants, you know, that like curvy vixen body with the snatched waist. Um, but there's a whole other population of people that are getting butt enhancement. And I find that people kind of in their 40s, 50s, even 60s that have lost a bunch of weight yes. and now sort of have hanging skin, you know, in many places are wanting butt enhancement in addition to all of the other skin removal surgeries. Do you get much of that in your practice? Yes. I think this is a super important conversation because it's not just all young, you know, snatch ways, big booty Instagram. It's definitely not. It's becoming... Uh, you know, more and more for the BBL is almost the operation for everybody. Almost everyone who's getting a tummy tuck, they could benefit from a BBL because it's going to help shape their waist from the back, you know, get more mm. of that, that, that um, snatching effect and get a, a, a better, more curvaceous result. So I almost recommend a BBL on, on almost every mommy makeover if they have enough fat and they're interested in the BBL. And I think the lifting is important. When I look at the butt from the back, I think about two things. Does this person have a tremendous amount of excess skin? And do I need to do a cutting procedure to lift it? Or is it just kind of that natural sagging deflation that has occurred because of age or poor genetics or not um, never exercising? And if it's the first one, then I really recommend not just filling with fat, but doing a circumferential body lift or a 360 uh, body lift or lower body lifts got all these different names, but the idea is the same yeah. is cutting around the back and lifting, actually physically lifting the buttocks with the skin excision. And then I fill that lifted skin with the fat. And I've had some great results with that. And if it's just age kind of related, mild deflation, not tons of skin, I find that the filling it with fat is amazing. You don't often mm -hmm. get the bubble butts or the the, you know, the, the big Instagram friendly butts, but you give that woman what she wants, which is a little bit of curves, a little bit of that youthfulness to the buttocks that, you know, makes her, her look better in jeans, makes her look better in a bathing suit that, that really, um, it, even though it can be subtle, can be really life-changing for these women in terms of confidence. Absolutely. And I find that those women generally don't want the big bubble butts and they very specifically come in and I can tell that they're nervous talking to me about a BBL because they're worried that I'm going to give them like a giant badonkadonk and all they want is, you know, essentially a reconstruction, like just give me back what I had in my forties kind of thing. But you think it's I don't bad want anyone for, to note it. 
You think it's bad for you? My name's Dr. Giancarlo and I'm in Miami. They don't trust me with anything. Right. They think I'm going to do a badonk donk you know, on everyone. I'm like, no, please. Right. <laughs> I'm an artist, okay? I'm not just like a gas station attendant. We don't say fill her up, okay? It, it is really sculpture. And, and I think uh, you said that right at the beginning of the podcast. And I, mm-hmm. I, I just want to repeat it because it's, it's really sculpting. And if you don't go to a, an artist who's going to sculpt your buttock the right way, you're going to end up with diaper butt or some other problem. Absolutely. And like you were sort of getting at before, the fat outside the butt really impacts it as well. So, you know, I see a lot of people who have gotten BBLs and, you know, just a little bit of fat was harvested from their stomach or something like that and then transferred to their butt. So their stomach doesn't look great. Their waist is square. Uh, They still have big love handles and they didn't get the big butt they wanted. I kind of wonder how this works. Like I'm, I'm thinking this must be surgeons where it's like for one area of harvest, it's this much for two areas, it's this much and patient can only afford one. I I don't know, but I think that, you know, sculpting the waist and doing the liposuction around the waist is, I would say almost as important as how you like transfer the fat. If you don't kind of narrow that waist and make a nice transition from that snatched waist down to the butt. Cause I've also seen a lot of sort of, you know, it comes out pretty nicely and then it just kind of like drops off a cliff. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's a lot of trial and error. And I think that liposuction is as important and uh, you know, people need to know that as well. That's my, I have a shorthand for that. And it's, it's not just what I add, it's what I take away because a lot of people, uh, they get fixated, especially in Florida, there's another difference, is we actually have a one liter limit of liposuction with combined procedures or four wow. liter limit with uh, a liposuction alone. So I tell people, you know, if you're on the bigger side, we need to stage your procedure. So, you know, if you're a BMI above a 32, oftentimes, and say you want a mommy makeover, which is a breast and a tummy tuck, plus a BBL, we call it mommy makeover plus, um, then mm. I say, stage it, do the BBL first. So we can do the fir- full four liters uh, and then skinnier patients. You really don't need usually more than a liter to really s- sculpt the waist. Obviously it's going to depend on the person, uh, but that's yeah. another difference. So in Canada, you can, you can do what you want really. Cause the surgeons are, 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 I feel on, on par better because there's not the buyer beware and safety issues that occur in places like Florida, where everyone's doing BBLs, even people that shouldn't be doing it. Absolutely. But uh, we definitely have, you know, not top-notch surgeons here as well. I think they (laughs) exist in every country. Um, You know, anything I revise is from a Canadian surgeon. Um, And even good surgeons, you know, sometimes have bad days. Yeah, that's true. I I always want to throw anyone under the bus here. Exactly. Uh, uh, Okay. And so, you know, what about, you know, this one myth that I get all the time, and I'm trying to like be the champion for re-educating people, I get people all the time that think that a BBL is going to fix their tummy. Do you get those people? Yeah. Like people who need a tummy tuck and they assume that the BBL is going to fix them. How do you handle those or how do you approach that? Um, honestly, I just kind of very bluntly tell them exactly what's up. Um, you know, we can liposuction your stomach. We can go all the way around the waist. We can put it in your butt. You're going to look great in clothes but you're going to have all of this sagging, hanging, empty skin and out of clothes, you're going to look way worse. So unless you're only looking to look good in clothing, this is not the right procedure for you. Or you should commit that, you know, six weeks to three months after the BBL, we're going to come back and we're going to do a tummy tuck to get rid of that skin. Yeah. So that's the same way I approach it. Actually now, 
uh, when, so I, I, like I said, I do a lot of my initial quotations online. So the patient requests something and oftentimes they're requesting the BBL and I know they need a tummy tuck. I just give them a quote for the tummy tuck right off the bat and they can say no, but at least they know that, that I think they need a tummy tuck. Um, because I don't know how this started. And I think it's because if you're really skinny or a lower BMI, yes, a BBL is going to make your tummy look better because your skin is already perfect. You're, you just have maybe a little bit of extra fat, but if you're someone who needs a tummy tuck, the T in tummy stands for, it's the T in tummy tuck stands for tummy and the B in BBL stands for butt. You know what I mean? I don't know. They're different procedures. They do different things. And I just want to, sorry if I'm repeating myself or getting intense, I'll just calm down and have a water here. But that's like probably <laughs> one of the more frustrating things is, is just the misinformation of plastic surgery that's out there on these different forums where uh, I think this podcast can help because we're putting out, you know, good information from two people who, uh, you know, are very qualified to talk on this issue. I am glad that you think I am. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are, man. Come on. Yeah. So, so what, no, what other, uh, it's important stuff, what other, uh, maybe things for people who are considering a BBL have we not touched on? Cause I feel like we've been very comprehensive. Um, yeah. Um, oh, fat survival, maybe yes, oh, okay. and post-operative very care, important. how to protect. Yes. So go, why don't you riff on that Ooh. one? Yeah. So, I mean, post-op, like we could do like two hours on, because this is one of these things where if you ask 10 plastic surgeons, how do you recover a BBL properly? You're going to get like 15 answers. Um, It is so all over the place in terms of what people do. The science just isn't there yet because we just haven't been doing these long enough and studying them properly. So, you know, my way of going about it is definitely at one extreme of the spectrum and I'm very much a minimalist when it comes to what do we do after a BBL. So because I do the liposuction around the waist and, you know, snatch it, we do want to compress that a bit where the lipo is done. So I'll put an abdominal binder on them, which for those who don't know, is just like an elastic belt that kind of covers your whole stomach. But I'll make sure that that really doesn't come anywhere near their hips. It doesn't come anywhere there, but I don't want anything touching their hips or butt. I tell them, you know, for the first four weeks, like you're wearing loose sweatpants, no underwear, no sitting on it. Uh, Use this BBL pillow, which we do include with our um, BBLs. And then, you know, just stay away from this. No lymphatic massages. I've seen too many people who don't know what they're doing, move fat around and ruin a good BBL. Um, I've seen too many people like, get fahas off the internet or off Amazon and ruin a good BBL. I've seen um, garments given by surgeons to patients for their BBL cause like weird Skin rings necrosis. and lines yeah. and stuff in it. Yeah. So I stay away from all of that until I see some hard evidence that tells me I should be doing that. And then I'm going to work with a company to design my own because I don't trust yeah. anything that's out there. What about you? What do you, what you said? I was, you said minimalist, but it sounds like you got a pretty good post-op routine there. That's, that's uh, pretty robust. So I think it's very we, aggressively do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, I a hundred percent agree with you that there's every surgeon is going to have their own approach to how to do things. Um, I also think that fat survival in the best case scenario is never going to be a hundred. You know, I think, you know, the science needs to advance. It's probably, 
in the most favorable conditions, somewhere like 80% and in maybe the most unfavorable mm. conditions as low as 50%. But I think even yeah, in unfavorable conditions, yeah, you get good fat survival. So my post-op regimen is, is pretty streamlined and pretty good and I, and it works. And it's like one of those things, if it ain't broke, you don't change it. And maybe some yeah. things are working or we don't know what part of it works the best, but since, since it works, we put it all together and don't change it. And so what it is, we fit the patients for a FAHA. So we're in control of it. It's made by a Colombian company. So uh, they know what they're talking about. Uh, and mm -hmm. uh, it's personally fitted. And then we add the binder and foams because of course, as they heal, not everyone's going to have that FAHA that was initially measured, fit them perfectly. So the binder and foams are to adjust and keep compression. We recommend that for six weeks. We provide three massages in the first week, lymphatic massage. And I 100% agree with you that not all lymphatic massage people are created equal, the same way not all surgeons are created equal. Exactly. So we keep this in-house. Like these are our girls. They're very good. They know what they're doing. We you know, are in charge of the training process. And they get three the first week, and then we recommend three in the second week. So you know, six over two weeks. And then staying off the booty with a booty pillow, we provide them. It's, uh, great minds think alike. Um, for four weeks is what we said. And then for those four to six weeks, you can start slowly reintroducing um, more and more time. Um, it gets a little tough and complicated with patients that are having the tummy tuck and the BBL. So how do yes. you deal with them? Or how do you, how do you cross that bridge? So honestly, this is something that I've only been willing to do uh, pretty recently, um, either a tummy tuck in a BBL or like a breast procedure in a BBL, basically a front procedure and a back procedure, right. because the recoveries for them tend to be opposite. When right. you have a procedure on your front, your surgeon's probably going to tell you, you need to sleep on your back so right. that you don't mess this up. If you have a procedure on your back, your surgeon's going to tell you no sitting or lying on this booty for a good four weeks. So patients have to get pretty creative, I find. And as we said earlier, hips are always involved in BBL. So sleeping yes. on your side is not an option. It's unless no, you want no. one square hip and one round one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll tell them to do things like, the simplest would be like, take a ring of pillows, essentially. So you're putting a bunch of pillows under your thighs, pillows under your lower back, and then your butt's just kind of hanging free. Um, there's actually like inflatable mattresses that they can buy online yes. that have like a cutout in the middle. Yes. Um, you know, go get a mattress topper from like Costco or something and like cut a hole in it. Um, I have a patient who actually like just bought a mattress, like an entire new mattress a hole. and then had her husband like cut a big hole That's in amazing. the circle for her butt to kind of hang from. You should market those, get the, call them my pillow guy on, you know, Fox news and be like, Hey, I got a mattress idea for you. Ooh. Not touching that guy right now. <laughs> that guy's such a weirdo. Okay. We're not going to get political. Okay. We're going to stick. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. So I, I agree. Uh, you know, we do a lot of combos. It's probably our most um, uh, common thing I do. And so what we do is we do the beach chair position, you know, kind of like the circle. We put tons of pillows under their thighs, tons of pillows under their back and kind of try and uh, make the as little weight on the butt as possible. There's no perfect solution. As soon as they can stand straight after a tummy tuck or front procedure, the breasts are healed. So usually at like two weeks, three weeks, then they can switch to uh, uh, sleeping on their stomach for the kind of uh, last, you know, two or three weeks that they're staying off their butt. But again, how happy it, are they at that two week mark when you're like, okay, you can sleep on your stomach. Oh, now. they're ecstatic. It's just, you know, you know how it is, right? Cause tummy tuck is opposite. Their tummy tuck, they're pulled forward. And so yeah. you, want, you don't want them too straight. They could, you know, ruin the, the yeah, tummy tuck result. Yeah. So I think at the two weeks is usually safe. And I tell them, if you're not standing up straight, then you're not lying straight. 
So until your posture is perfect back to normal, which can take as long as two weeks, maybe sometimes longer, uh, as you, as you know, then, um, you're not allowed to lie flat. That seems to work. And I think mm -hmm. the, the post-op and then long-term, what about, um, uh, I don't know what, to finish off this or patient satisfaction or, uh, uh, second stage BBLs or, uh, the, those kind of people that want the really big results. What about those things? Yeah. So, I mean, the people who want like a really, really, really big, butt, I will tell them straight off the bat, like we're probably going to have to do this twice. Yes. Um, there's really only so much fat that I can get a butt and hips to take in the first round in particular, the hips, as we talked about, right. You know, the tight fascia and stuff. Yeah. But once I think we've blown that out a bit and that fat has taken, and there's a good blood supply in there, I think the second BBL, you can actually do more than the first one because you've already kind of stretched things and you've created a really good bed for your fat to live in. So that second round BBL, I find we can get a lot, but you know, I really find that I can't transfer much more than 14, 1500 CCs to a side and like get it to stay in there. Same. So I, I, I think it's exactly the same thing. If someone wants a really big, they want a maximal result, um, then first they got to have the fat for it. So, you know, not every person, like a BMI 25, you can't even do two stages. Like it's, there's no, no point. You have to be a higher BMI, you have to have more body weight. And then I agree. It's actually amazing how much more the fat will survive on the second time. I think it's like that, you know, the, the expansion phenomenon. Uh, and then the other thing, you know, where, when, once surgery has occurred in a site, the blood supply is better because it's injury recovery, this kind of thing. Scar tissue has more uh, blood supply. So I agree. I actually have to be careful on the second time that I don't overdo it because then right. you can end up with like too much fat survival. But yeah, that's how I handle them. And I feel like BBL patients are some of my happiest patients. Um, mm -hmm. they, they love the surgery. I love the surgery. And I think that the best way to think about it is that we are sculptors and to kind of find the patient that understands that and understands the limitation. And then you're going to have a happy patient. Absolutely. So I think this has been a great booty episode. This is everything booty by Dr. Plant and Dr. G. That's right. I think we've spent almost an hour talking about butts. I don't know that there's anything else we can say. We literally covered butt stuff. Like that just summarizes it. It's all butt stuff. Okay. So except uh, think... the stuff you think of when you think of butt stuff. <laughs> yeah. Except for that stuff. Okay. So uh, that's a yeah, different was, podcast, different, different channel. So this was a lot of fun. So stay tuned for our next episode, which uh, we will decide what we're going to do probably after this podcast. Absolutely.